Welcome to the first episode of Multiplane Tales. I'll be your novice narrator, JC. This tale is called Roguelike by Paul Morano. And dear listener, if you want your tale told, you can send it to multiplanetales at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. Part 1. The Charlatan In the underworld of Megalith, the name Clyde Odin means many different things to many different people. To most, and that means most, it is the name of a smug and deceitful, narcissistic conman who can never be trusted, as he would sooner leave a dagger in your back than split any amount of gold gained from a heist. That said, to some, and that means some, Clyde Odin is the name of a misunderstood renegade that has been unfairly slandered by spiteful ex-partners in crime and jilted lovers alike. The few people who describe Clyde as the latter usually look and sound kind of like him, so many think they're usually Clyde in disguise. The man is notorious for his disguises. He once pretended to be the younger brother of a provenient sultan and actually took the throne for seven months while his brother went to fight in a war two continents away. During Clyde the Sultan's reign, over four tons of gold went missing from the grand treasury of the Perfa Empire, and there was said to be a lavish party thrown on the palace grounds every night. On a positive note, any and all food that was not eaten during these parties was donated to the poor and homeless throughout the capital city. This kind-hearted, non-wasteful, and yet honestly more than financially practical gesture won him the support of the masses. And so, when it came time for him to flee the capital due to his true identity being revealed, he was able to simply walk out the front door of the palace and have mobs of the city's destitute shield him as he found himself a ship west. Clyde called anywhere west of the Old World home. These far western reaches are known collectively as the Sovereign Lands, and they have provided shelter for countless fugitives, runaway slaves, rebels, and pirates for almost 100 years. The unofficial capital of this loose union of outcasts has always been the grand city of Megalith. The young metropolis started out as an ambitious merchant utopia free of the limits set by the oppressive caste system of the old world. It ended up becoming a mercantilistic nightmare where the sons of robber barons took turns seeing who can fuck over the city's poor the hardest. Megalith was a corrupt shithole, but for a career criminal, it was the place to be. Clyde's status as a pariah did not sit well with his coin purse, and unless he wanted to start making an honest living, which in Megalith meant braving working conditions more dangerous than a ghoul-filled dungeon, he would need to boost his reputation. His stint as a pseudo-sultan saw nearly all of the treasury gold he stole go to various mob bosses, ex-partners, and worst of all, tax collectors that he was indebted to. It seemed insane to most for a man like Clyde to give up that much money. But with his current rep, he knew that no sellsword he'd hire would loyally protect him from the dozens of assassins, crazy ex-girlfriends, and crazy ex-girlfriends assassins that would come for his head. By wiping away his mountain of debt, he had hit reset on his criminal career. Part 2. The Aristocrat Clyde's first job back in Megalith was a simple B&E. Some aristocrat wanted him to break into one of his fellow rich assholes' second mansion or something. It sounded simple enough, but this paranoid patrician wanted to meet Clyde in person before giving him the details of whose house he would be breaking into. So, Clyde was invited by the man to visit him at one of his not-so-humble abodes in the clouds above. Clyde had only been to the high-rise district of Megalith a handful of times. The opulent buildings suspended by magic above the grimy city streets always struck Clyde as a heavy-handed metaphor for the city's class divide. The rich were literally living above the poor in their floating castles. Clyde would have at least appreciated the ingenuity it took to build such a place, but even mostly that came down to dumb luck. For whatever reason, floating mountains, which 99% of the time float so high up in the sky that no one could see them, dipped down just enough for them to be spotted by anyone living in Megalith's many tall buildings. 
One day, a wizard saw one floating by his tower and captured it into his gravity well. The wizard began selling land on this floating mountain of his for a lot of coin, and thus, many of the city's rich elites began to build mansions and castles on top of it. Who doesn't want to live in a literal castle of the sky? The wizard made a killing off this floating mountain of his and held the coveted title of richest man in Megalith for a time. Eventually, other mountains floated on by and other rich assholes with powerful wizards on their payroll captured them and repeated the wizard's proven business model. And thus, the high-rise district was born. Clyde always thought the idea of living in the sky was nice and all, but in execution, it rather sucked. Clyde always felt like he was breathing through a straw whenever he had to visit High Rise. Not to mention, it was colder than an ice elemental's asshole up there. They say you get used to it after a while, but Clyde was always under the impression that once you're rich, you didn't have to get used to inconveniences. You could just throw money at the problem until it stopped. Clyde arrived at the mansion where he was supposed to meet the client. It was a fancy smancy looking place that looked like it was vomited on by a leprechaun with all the gold and green decorating its exterior. Psst, Clyde heard above him. He looked up to see a rather dandy-looking young man pointing to his left from a balcony window. Go around the back. There will be a window with vides under it. It's unlocked. Climb up to the top. I'll be in the room waiting for you. Wasn't this the place, he thought to himself. Could he just not walk through the front door? The old Clyde would have argued with the guy, but he decided it was best to just do what the paranoid man says. He is paying him good money for what should be an easy job. Clyde went around the back until he came to the bright green vine slithering 15 feet up the mansion wall. He climbed the vines, and much to his irritation, they were thorned. Upon reaching the top, his hands were bloodied from the climb, and he had to pick out a few thorns from his palms. The old Clyde would have rubbed his bloodied hands up against those very expensive-looking drapes out of spite. But this was the new Clyde, and the new Clyde wanted people to like him, even paranoid rich assholes. Wow, you sure climb fast. Clyde looked over to see the client entering the room. Oh my, you were pricked by those nasty little thorns, weren't you? My apologies, I'm in between gardeners right now. The client took a handkerchief out of his pocket and gave it to Clyde to clean off the blood. Thanks. Clyde cleaned his hands off and took a seat on a nearby sofa. It took every fiber of Clyde's being to resist resting his dirty feet on the expensive tuffet by his legs. Now, you are aware of the nature of the job I'm giving you. You want me to break in somewhere, steal something, and then slip out unnoticed. Exactly, the client exclaimed. Sounds like a pretty standard burglary, then. Should be no issue for a rogue of your caliber. Rogue-like, Clyde corrected. Excuse me? The client asked. I hate to be so persnickety, but I'm rogue-like. I don't entirely fall into the standard classification of what makes a rogue. How so? The client asked. Well, Clyde snapped his fingers and a flame appeared on the tip of his thumb. Most rogues don't know any magic. Oh, that's excellent. I see I am getting my coins worth. Clyde nodded his head. That you are. Clyde attempted to blow out the flame on his thumb, but it proved far more stubborn than he had foreseen. After three failed attempts and the client's excited gaze turning into bewilderment, Clyde resorted to shoving his lit thumb in his mouth. Are you okay? The client asked. Yeah, I... Clyde coughed up a plume of smoke and banged on his chest to regain composure. I'm fine. All right. Well, I'm glad to see you're not like the other rogues, because in full disclosure, you are not the first one I have sent on this mission. Really? Who did you send before me? Clyde was composed on the outside, but he was starting to feel the heat of anxiety in his chest. That, or the flame he swallowed didn't quite go out. Well, I sent half a dozen rogues, the client answered. What were their names? Clyde really hoped he had sent some morons he found on the street. 
Because if he hired real professionals and they had not come back, then this job was not going to be the cakewalk he had hoped for. One was named Andre. Shit, Clyde thought to himself. Another was a woman named Selica. Shit, Clyde thought again. A very tall man named Landis. I think he was the first, actually. Shit, Clyde thought a third time. There was a little gnome named Sendrick, and I think a half-orc named Brutus or something like that. Shit, 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 shit. Clyde kept the steady look on his face, but after hearing the names of some of the best thieves in Megalith, he could not help but internally lament that he had accepted what was appearing to be more and more likely a suicide mission. Oh, and last but not least, there was a half-elven woman named Evie. Shit. Upon hearing the name of arguably the best thief not just in Megalith, but in the entirety of the Sovereign Lands, Clyde could not help one of his panic thoughts from falling out of his mouth. Shit? The client asked in bewilderment. Uh, shit. It seems like you finally hired a true professional after dealing with all those amateurs. The client's eyes lit up. Well, better late than never, I say. And it's a shame, too, as they all seem like true experts. I guess you can never judge a book by its cover. Clyde nodded his head. Exactly. Clyde feigned a confident smile, but deep down, he knew he was fucked. If he tried to back out of the job now, word would spread and Clyde's fresh start would be entirely negated. The client slid a piece of folded paper toward him. It had on it the address and a map of the mansion he would be burglarizing. A nice, fat, red X marked the location of the item Clyde would be attempting to steal. It's a large gemstone charged by arcane energy. I should not have to tell you why I want it. The client's coyness irritated Clyde, but he did not show it. Old Clyde would have shown it. New Clyde, however, just smiled and nodded. So this is going to be a magical job. Clyde covered up his feared with hollow bravado. It would seem so. I should have known months upon months of hiring mundane thieves, no matter their reputation, would have led nowhere. But now that I have a magically adept professional at my disposal, I'm sure the seventh time shall be the charm. Isn't that right? Of course. Clyde looked around the room. You got anything to drink? If this guy was sending him to his probable death, Clyde thought he might as well drink him dry. Part 3. The Heist Clyde entered the mansion through a skylight that took him at least an hour to confirm was not enchanted with any sort of alarm spell. Once inside, he remembered the one piece of advice that he was given by an old mentor named Mac when it came to breaking into anywhere magical. Remember, kid, don't touch a goddamn thing unless you have to. Avoid any tile floors, and make sure to avoid stepping in front of any paintings with eyes. There's always a chance they could be one of those annoying, sentient talking portraits. Clyde followed his old mentor's advice religiously as he moved deeper into the mansion. He made sure to inspect every plank of hardwood floor before stepping forward, and outright avoid any hallways with paintings hanging along the wall. It was time-consuming, but after a couple of hours, Clyde reached the basement entrance without incident. This would usually be a cause for celebration, but Clyde knew if he could reach the basement door without having to use any magic of his own, then the other six thieves before him could have done so as well. Clyde knew that the basement was where the real danger was most likely to be. Traps are best set around a single area in a home. One does not want to trigger a fire signal while stumbling about late at night looking for the bathroom. He took his first careful step downward and could feel the air around him change. There was something different about this part of the house, and Clyde was not looking forward to finding out what that was. There was only so much Clyde could do to inspect each step as he slowly and methodically descended deeper inside. The first sign of trouble came in the form of the sound of frantic whispering coming from what he presumed was the basement proper. Clyde tried to make out what they were saying, but they seemed to only get quieter as he drew closer. He took a deep breath and rounded a corner, where he suspected he would finally come face to face with whatever was waiting for him up ahead. Don't move, 
a voice commanded. The darkness in front of Clyde came alive with movement. With a quick flick of his fingers and an utterance of magic words, Clyde summoned a ball of light to illuminate the room. There he saw five of the six thieves who had gone missing. There was Andre, Silica, Brutus, all standing before him with their weapons drawn. Flanking Clyde on both sides were Evie and Cendric. The star thief herself had her blade right at Clyde's throat, while little Cendric had his dagger aimed at his balls. Clyde couldn't decide which was the bigger threat of the two. Clyde Odin? Andre exclaimed. Oh great, just when I thought this couldn't get any worse, Silica said as she took a step forward. Brutus tensed up at her moving. Oi, little girl, don't you think his arrival changes anything? I told you Landis was like that when I got here. It was at that moment that Clyde noticed the dead body of Landis laying on the floor next to the glowing blue gemstone that had brought all these thieves together. Great, so now we have seven thieves all trying to get the same enchanted gemstone. This client was a real dickbag to hire us all individually. I mean, why couldn't he have just not hired us as a team if he was so worried about us failing? Andre lamented. Because he would have to pay us more. Not to mention, I would never work with the likes of Clyde Odin. Cendric snored at Clyde like an angry little dog. How long do you think you've been down here? Clyde asked the group, likely now the only one who knew what was going on. I entered the basement about 10 or 15 minutes ago. Lannis's dead body was there when I got here. Sure it was, little girl. Brutus was not convinced by her story. So, Selica was the first one down here? Clyde asked. Well, Landis, I guess. But, uh... Andre nudged the lifeless body of Landis, who seemed to have died from a bad case of dagger to the heart. Oh, no. Clyde had an idea of what was happening, but now he was certain that it was exactly as he predicted. You know, the client must have been real desperate if he had to hire you as a seventh. I mean, after how badly you buggered up the Lancaster job. I'm surprised you're still breathing, Clyde, let alone working, Cendric joked. This roused a laugh among all the other thieves, with the exception of Evie. She could tell that Clyde knew some major. How long ago do you guys think the Lancaster job was? Clyde asked the group. So many damn questions, Clyde. Salka rolled her eyes and raised her crossbow. Can we all just agree to kill Odin and split the coin five ways? All in favor, say aye. Aye, the other three said in unison. The Lancaster job was seven months ago. Evie, the ever-quiet one, finally chimed in and seemed to trip up the plan to kill Clyde. What? I thought it was four months ago. What are you guys talking about? The poor excuse of a job happened like only two weeks ago. I heard about it for the first time yesterday, Silica yelled. Clyde began to laugh. It seems this rumor is protected by a time distortion spell. That explains why you all have been missing for over a year. A year? The thieves yelled in unison. Yeah, Clyde continued. Everyone thought you guys were out of town doing some big jobs back in the old world. I guess you were all actually caught in this time vortex. Man, I gotta say, you have all missed out on a lot. A whole year? We've been missing for a whole year? Evie has been missing for a year. You guys have been gone, it seems, much longer if you're still harping on about the Lancaster job. I've lost faith in the underworld if they forgave you for that shit show, the heist. Cendric seized his blade and threw his arm in the air in disgust. I mean, have things gotten so desperate without us that every mob boss, robber baron, and thieves guild have had no choice but to let you work in Megalith again? No, actually, things are great. After the Lancaster job, I left Megalith. Don't you mean you fled? Andre asked. Just shut up and listen. I infiltrated the Perva Imperial Court and posed as the Sultan's brother after he left to fight a war all the way in the Far East. I ruled the Empire for seven months and stole more coins than the sixth of the Lancaster jobs combined. I paid off all my debt and now I'm no longer on everybody's shit list, alright? This is my first job back in Megalith, and even though the client told me you all went missing after accepting this one, I needed to get my rep back, and well, what better way than doing a job that killed six of the best thieves in Megalith? 
Too bad for me you all have been dicking around in here for all this time instead. But I swear it's only been about 15 minutes at most. Silica and the others looked visibly shaken. Yeah, that's how time vortexes work. Clyde moved past Evie, who had yet to lower her blade, but did nothing when he pushed it away from his throat. Clyde made his way to Landis's fresh dead body and bit into his hand. Wait, so can we just leave? Andre asked. No, Clyde answered between his whispering of some ancient dead tongue. Why not? Brutus asked. Because you'll see in just a moment. Landis's eyes flung open as his body came back to life. What the fuck? Is that necromancy, Odin? Yeah, I don't like to use it for obvious reasons, but this seems to be an emergency. The undead body of Landis began to sulk up the stairs, and with each step, his body began to rapidly decay. What the fuck? Cendric shouted. If you leave a time vortex, all the time you've missed catches up to you in a single moment. Now, unless you've been eating and drinking a year's worth of food in the last few minutes, I would advise you stay where you are. What did you send Landis off to do? Evie asked. To get help. How long do we have to wait? I don't want to miss another year down here. Well, he should be back literally any second. Right on cue, the skeleton of Landis returned with the wizard who owned the place. The others were a bit dismayed to realize that the wizard had been killed and turned by Landis. Damn it, Landis, I said to get help, not to kill the owner of this place. Clyde's chiding of Landis seemed to have no effect on him, at least not visibly, since it's a bit hard to read the expression of an undead skeleton. Is that going to be a problem? Silica said. Well, probably not. This guy likely just bought all his magical shit rather than making it himself. So shouldn't I have to worry about him breaking free from my control and going all evil lich on us? That said, we better hope this guy takes directions well. Clyde, now holding dominion over the wizard, spoke in the dead tongue language, ordering the wizard and Landis back upstairs. When you always bragged about knowing magic, I assumed those little light shows you put on to impress the tavern wenches was the extent of your knowledge, but not goddamn necromancy. Brutus moved up to Clyde and seized him up. If I were to kill you, would you stay dead? He asked. That's a big if, my orcus friend, Clyde said with a cocky grin. Brutus may like to play up his orcus aggression, but Clyde knew that orcs aren't as dumb as bigots like to pretend that they are. Brutus stepped off, and it seemed the room's attitude toward Clyde shifted from irreverent to quietly terrified. So that's it, huh? All this time you've been the wise man playing the fool? Evie asked. No. I mean, yes. Or, well... Clyde became visibly flustered. Look. I'm not the idiot these dipshits think I am, but I'm not some impeccable mastermind. I know some necromancy, yes, but I'm not going to raise any undead armies anytime soon. It's not my style. The wizard returned with a blue potion in his hands, and Clyde took it to inspect it. What's that? Sendrick asked. It's a time distortion potion. It'll make it so that you won't immediately feel all the time that you missed as soon as you leave the vortex. That said, you better eat and drink as much food and water as you can in the next hour or so. If you do, when the potion wears off, you'll hopefully be able to survive sinking back with the current time. Clyde took a small swig. I've only been here a couple of minutes, so I won't need much. The rest of you better share based on who's been here the longest. The group all looked at each other, and Selica butted her way up to Clyde. That means me first. She gently takes the bottle from him and gives him a warm smile. I'm sure I'll find a way to make this up to you, Odin, she said with a wink before almost coughing it up. This tastes like shit, Brutus laughed. Maybe to a girl like you. Brutus took a hefty sip and almost puked it back up. That does taste like shit. Sendrick was next, and after sniffing the bottle and shrugging, he began to down it. Hey, 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 you're like two feet tall. You don't need that much, you little shit. Andre grabbed the bottle from Sendrick and took his fill. Last to drink was Evie, but before she took the last sip of the potion, she walked over to the gemstone and took it from the altar it was sitting upon. Here. She handed it to Clyde. I think we can all agree that you deserve this. The others looked disappointed, but no one dared voice disapproval. Part 4. The End Wow. Thanks. Clyde smiled sincerely. 
Evie polished the rest of the potion off without as much of a grimace and led the way back upstairs. The five thieves made their way to the kitchen and ransacked it for every piece of food and drink it had. When Clyde was asked what he was going to do, he told them he had to sort the whole undead business out first. He said if he could, he would try and bring Landis and the wizard back from undeath before giving the gemstone over to the client. The others wished Clyde good fortune and went on their merry way, likely never to speak ill of Clyde Odin ever again. Before leaving though, Evie left Clyde a note saying, If you ever need a partner for any future job, ask for a sparkling rum at the Sleeping Giant Tavern and to let me know you came looking for me. Evie, wow kid, look at you. Best thief in Sovngarde wants to partner up. I'd say you're back on top. Mac, who had now dropped the illusion spell that made him look like an undead wizard, put his hands on Clyde's shoulder in congratulations. If she, or any of them, ever find out what we just pulled on them, I will be a dead man walking. No offense, Landis. Landis, who had only just finished drinking the resurrection potion, had to wait until his vocal cords and tongue had regrown to reply. You could have warned me that the time distortion wouldn't affect me in the afterlife. Well, you would not have volunteered to die if I told you. I had to spend over a year in the third circle of hell. There was no time distortion. I had to endure every second of it. You were sent to the third circle? Man, you better keep that to yourself. Yeah, that's the part where they put those guys who have sex with animals. Back when I was a necromancer, I made sure to send back any spirits I pulled from there. Those guys were, uh... Mac cringed, unable to finish his sentence. Which, for a guy who used to deal with demons and undead things for a living, was saying something. What? No, no, it's not all animal fuckers, Landis protested. It's like 80% animal fuckers, Mac countered. Landis threw his half-skeletal arms in the air, which were the last part of his body still under regeneration. Whatever. How much am I getting paid for this anyway? Because I'm starting to think no amount was worth all this shit. Mac pulled out his trusty pipe and lit it as he pondered. Well, once I'm done liquidating most of the asshole who owns this mansion's assets, we should be looking over 100,000 between the two of us. All this for only 100,000 gold, Landis yelled. Not gold. Mac took a puff off his pipe. Platinum. Landis, who now had a face to express with, did a complete 180. Clyde, I want to thank you personally for forgiving me for trying to assassinate you back in Perva, and letting me be part of this job. Don't mention it. Clyde playfully nudged his old enemy in his recently regrown gut before turning to his old mentor. Now Mac, the real guy who owns this joint isn't going to be a problem, right? Mac chuckled. I gave him amnesia and left him on the streets. He's working in one of the factory he owns and will be very happy to hear that it's going to be shut down soon due to its uh, unsafe working conditions but workers will be generously compensated for their time. Excellent. Clyde put the gemstone back in his bag and headed for the door. You know, Clyde, the coin you make off that gemstone is nothing compared to what we siphoned off this guy. You sure you don't want to cut? Landis asked. Clyde shook his head. Nah, it's not my style. And with those last words, Clyde Odin was off to sell the gemstone for a pittance for what his friends earned that day. Old Clyde would have hated the idea of leaving a job with less money than he could have made. But old Clyde didn't understand the value of reputation. Those five thieves he saved would now go on and sing his praises across Megalith and change what the name Clyde Odin means for thousands. He has now taken his place among the legends, and that is something you can't put a price on. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Multiplane Tales. If you want to share your story, you can send it to multiplanetales at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this tale, please share it with your friends, family, and adventuring party. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Multiplane Tales for teasers and updates. Again, thanks for listening, and return in a fortnight for the next tale.